but now. But Paul's not satisfied with telling the Ephesians the gospel once. He tells it a second time from a different angle in verses 11 to 22. And he uses the same pattern in these verses. Once, but now. Once you were like this, but now God has done this. Verses 1 to 10, he says the gospel brings us back into relationship with God. That vertical consequence, that vertical connection between us and God. Here in verses 11 to 22, we see Paul with one eye on that vertical connection with God, but his other eye, if it's possible, on the interpersonal connection between believers of Christ. So, therefore, Paul says, verse 11, what effect does the gospel have on our interpersonal relationships? As we unpack this, we see Paul pointing back in verses 11 to 12, saying, remember the serious predicament you were in. He then moves on to say in verses 13 to 18, this is how you were brought near, now in glorious proximity. And finally, in verses 19 to 22, he talks about what it's like to be near, united as God's people in Christ. So firstly, Paul says, remember the serious predicament you were once in, verses 11 to 12. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. To many, this will seem an irrelevant verse. But to understand it, we need to get into the mindset of the Jews. To their minds, there were only two categories of people, either Jews or Gentiles. God's people or not God's people. So this envelops all the peoples of the world. Those two categories include everyone in the world. The sign that you were God's people was circumcision. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. So when Jews here call themselves the circumcision, they're saying they're part of God's people. And when they refer to Gentiles, not God's people, as the uncircumcised people, they're showing contempt. It's an insult. For example, remember when David faces Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 26, and he asks, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who, that he should defy the armies of the living God? They're not exchanging niceties was a, a pretty scornful insult of an enemy back then. The Jews here calling Gentiles the uncircumcised is an insulting reminder that they were not God's people. There was no love lost between Jews and Gentiles. So we begin to see the social chaos in the first century that Paul is writing into. The Jews are looking down their noses at the Gentiles exaggerating the importance of this sign of membership of God's people. And there's an application for us here too, isn't there? It reveals the natural <coughs> tendency of the human heart to self-righteousness, feeling superior, 
When we look at the news, oh, bad things are going on there. It's easy to say that that's that group of people. That age range, perhaps. They're over there. That's not me. I'm not like that. I'm above that. Paul says in verse 11 that the danger of self-righteousness is that it leads to exaggerating the importance of externals or rituals or formalities of religion. See what he says about circumcision in this verse. Made in flesh by hands, something done to men by men. Circumcision was only ever a sign to point to an in, in, inward reality. Not a cutting of the flesh now, but the inward change of the heart. Not done by human hands, but by the hand of God. It's important for us all to take a spiritual checkup to make sure we're not happy just with the externals of religion, just happy that we go to church meetings, that we pray, other formalities. But that a heart change has taken place. Listen to Paul in uh, Romans 2.29. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not the by the letter. True circumcision, the real sign of belonging to God, is the transforming work done by God's Spirit in the heart of his people. And that is available both to Jew and to Gentile. Salvation is available to all who will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 11, Paul addresses these Ephesians believers and gives them an emphatic reminder. He says, remember, and he says again in verse 12, remember. Paul urges them to remember what they once were. He describes in five ways the awful situation people are in when they're separated from God and his people. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. One, remember you were separated from Christ. Well, that's really bad news because you've read Ephesians 1 and you'll have heard Paul saying with passion that everything that's good comes from being united to Christ. Every spiritual blessings in Christ. Listen to what he lists in chapter 1. And I haven't got enough fingers to go through these things. He lists grace, peace, blessing, holiness, love, adoption, redemption, <coughs> forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, hope, salvation, promise, inheritance, power, mercy, life, all in Christ. So to be without Christ, far from him, is to be without all these things. According to chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it's death, slavery to the devil, facing God's anger. And Paul says to these believers, remember that was you without Christ. 
2. He says, you are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, excluded from the citizenship of Israel. And three, foreigners to the covenants of promise. Now with citizenship comes rights and privileges. So as well as not knowing the blessings through being separate from Christ, they didn't know the blessings because they were not part of God's people. Those who were adopted, predestined, chosen, sealed. To be united to Christ alone is also to be united to his people. So it's awful to be excluded from them. It's to have no promise of eternal life, no heavenly inheritance, none of the benefits of being God's chosen people. How terrible. Alienated or excluded. This Greek word is only used three times in the Bible. Twice in Ephesians and once in Colossians 1 verse 21, which says, And you once were alienated and hostile in your mind. Remember, Paul says, that was you. Four, having no hope and five, without God in the world. That's not to say that they didn't have hopes for their lives and that they had no thoughts about deity, they did. But it is to say that separated from God's people, they had no hope of eternity. Separate from Christ, they had no true or lasting knowledge of the one true God. Not ours by right, not by birth, not by our achievements. Without Christ, separate from his people, without hope, without promise, without God, a life of vain hopes and disappointments, only idols that never satisfy. Remember this was you. Without Christ. This is a description of hell. Paul tells us as Christians to remember that once was us. We were once far away. And if you're not a believer yet, please take note. It's a terrible place to be without Christ. Now, Remembering what we once were may be painful for some. Remembering things in the past that we'd rather not go digging up again. Past sins, wrong relationships, bad memories that we want to leave buried. We might think Paul's being a bit cruel here, asking us to remember those. But he says there's a great purpose in remembering we were once far away. Why? A, because it rids us of any feeling of self-righteousness in our hearts. It keeps us from crying and takes away any reason to boast. It's all by grace. And B, the positive is that it shows us the riches of his grace. And we can say chapter 1 verse 6 with Paul to the praise of his glorious grace. And we're reminded it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, chapter 2, verse 8. If we forget we were once far away, we'll forget grace and the serious predicament we were in and that many around us are still in, in desperate need of grace. 
Paul wants us to reach back in our memories to the deepest depths and darkest moments of our alienation from God, the serious predicament we were once in, so that we can be taken to the highest heights and be blinded by the brilliance of being united to Christ. We need to keep remembering what God has by grace saved us from. And as we look at our broken world, it will remind us, doesn't it, that there's a tremendous need of God's grace here. Christians, remember, Paul says, you were once far away. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <coughs> Secondly, Paul says, Look at what Jesus has done. He's changed everything. Once far, but now near, in glorious proximity. Verses 13 to 18. To bring us near, God came in the person of Jesus. Near enough to witness the separation, to know exclusion and isolation, and even suffer hostility. Jesus came and suffered the separation sin brings. He was rejected by men as he hung on the cross. He was isolated from God the Father. My God, why have you forsaken me? He cried. He was without God as he suffered on the cross. In order that the hostility between us and God could be removed, he took the source of that hostility, our sin, and he took it far away. So we could be brought near. By the blood of Christ. Verse 13 says. And we'll remember that, be remembering that as we share in the Lord's Supper a little bit later. But look at verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. God promises in Isaiah 57 19, peace, peace to the far and to the near, those far or near, reminding ourselves of our past sins may be painful. It may bring back painful memories, disturbing memories, but Paul says, let this title of Jesus, that he is our peace, replace those memories, for he is our peace. And here's the joy of the gospel, the hostility that once was between us and the eternal God has been removed by Jesus' blood and sacrifice, so that I, who was once lost, am able now to be made free. Paul has one eye, as I said earlier, on the vertical relationship with God. Jesus is our peace. But Paul has his other eye on the horizontal impact of the gospel, how it applies to our relationships with each other. How does it apply to the social chaos I mentioned earlier between the Jews and Gentiles in the first century? What's Paul saying here? Look at the text. And remember the Jewish mindset. Only two categories of humanity. Jews and Gentiles. God's people and not God's people. Circumcised and uncircumcised. See the social impact of Jesus' death. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance. The text says there was a wall, a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, and it was divisive and hostile. Jesus made both groups one by removing that wall. He did that by making of no effect the law with its commands and regulations. What does that mean? Paul showed us what it was to be, or what it is, to be far away. It's a twofold separation, not only separate from God, but also from God's people. Separate from Christ and alienated <coughs> from his people. God had given his people in the Old Testament his law with commands and regulations. Now the purpose of that law was not to bring them near, but to teach them how to live once they were near, rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. The Gentiles weren't given that law, so it distinguished God's people from all other nations. The law taught the Jews how to live near to God, so by implica implication, it also separated them from every other nation in the world, the Gentiles. So it acted as a wall between them. If you prefer a visual aid, um, think back to the temple of the Old Testament. In this place, God dwelt among his people. But there were various partitions, barriers, and thick curtains around the Holy of Holies, which kept non-Jews far away. Outside, there was a five-foot-high wall, and then 15 steps up to the elevated temple platform. Non-Jews could look up to it, but not enter. God's law kept the Gentiles further away, a barrier between them and the Jews. But look what Jesus has done in verse 14. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. After Jesus' death, what determines nearness to God is no longer citizen, citizenship of Israel. All keeping the law, being near to God now, is dependent upon being united to Christ. The laws separating the Jews and non-Jews were made of no effect, Paul says. They were abolished because they were only for a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. They were a shadow pointing forward to the reality of Christ, which was to come, foretold by the Old Testament prophets. This fulfilled God's promise that we read earlier in Jeremiah 31, to write his law, his will for his people on their hearts, not on tablets of stone. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Think of the physical nature of the temple. Matthew 27 verse 51 tells us that when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn by God from top to bottom, torn in two. And Paul's saying here that when Jesus died, the barrier, barrier excluding Gentiles was destroyed too. Jews and non-Jews can now both 
come near to God because what kept them separated, what divided them, the curtain and the wall have now been abolished by Jesus' death. There's no longer any separation. All can enter in through Christ. What was God's purpose in this? We see in verses 15 and 16 that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here's God's purpose in the death of Christ, in the death of Jesus, to bring people from far off to be near God. But also from two peoples far apart, in one new humanity. God's purpose in the world is to create his church, no longer defined by nation or law, but by unity in Jesus. The division after the cross is not Jew or Gentile, but in Christ or not in Christ. And this is the question that's posed to us all. Are you in Christ or not in Christ? Part of his one new humanity or not? Christian or not? God's purpose in this wasn't only to unite to himself, but also to unite the two, all believers, in one new humanity, the church. That's why he says to reconcile us both to God in one body. That's why verse 17 tells us, he came and preached peace to you who once far off, and peace to those who are near, both. And more than that, verse 18, for through him we both have in one spirit to the Father. God's created one new humanity, his church, defined now by unity to Christ. As we read in Galatians 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Hostilities remain. Our reconciliation and peace with each other springs from our reconciliation to God. This means the means, sorry, the means of our unity and peace in our interpersonal relationships is by being reconciled to the one God through the one Savior. We remember we were once far off, but we look at the cross and realize as Christians we're all now. Is there hostility? Is there division? Is there a lack of unity, even in the church? How do we go about restoring strained or even broken relationships at home, in the church, where trust has been broken, where grudges are held? Remember, we were all once far off. No one has reason for self-righteousness, pride, by the grace of God and through the death of Jesus we're now here reconciled by the same Saviour brought by the same God who's brought his unity and peace with God but he's also brought us into this one new humanity remember the fact and see the cross our unity depends on it the good news 
news is that the gospel is available to everyone without distinction, no matter what age, class, race, nation. Once and for all, Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, so all can come to God through Christ. But there's a challenge here to all of us. Do we build barriers on top of the gospel? Barriers that exclude some people and keep them distant. Walls that protect us in our comfort zone, but keep certain people out. Do we build walls around other people to keep them away because they're not like us? They don't do things our way. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. How dare we even think about rebuilding? The gospel is for all, without distinction. Remember what it cost Jesus to bring us near. Thirdly, and more briefly, Paul gives us three pictures in verses 19 to 22 to reinforce the message that we're a united people of God in Christ. He says, once you were far, but now no longer. You have a king to serve, a father to access, and God to worship. We read verse 19. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're fellow citizens of God's kingdom to which we belong. Members of a household, adopted children, in God's family. We don't need a passport, we have a certificate of adoption. And we're being built together with Christ as our cornerstone. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All three pictures of togetherness, which goes against so much of our modern culture, doesn't it? Which says, life's all about me, the individual. I can achieve anything I want. Paul says, being united to Christ, we're also united to each other. Together in God's one new humanity, our togetherness and fellowship should be a priority in our time, prayers, daily lives, hospitality. Thanks to COVID, I think many, if not all of us, have realized we're meant for physical togetherness. Paul says, otherwise, we're out of line with God's purposes for the one new humanity he's created. And we're building on a different foundation to the apostles and prophets and scriptures. And we're not built together with the cornerstone of Christ, who keeps us steady and stable and holds us together and in line. We're meant to be together in one church. Christians, think of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all on an equal footing. We were once far from God, dead in our sins. But we were saved by the same Saviour, on the same cross, by the same blood. 
with a dwelling place of God by his spirit. We have far too much in common to be arguing and quarreling about differences of opinion. United in Christ. To put up new walls of discord within the church is offensive to the one who died for them. The world in its mess around us needs a united people of God. United in the gospel. United in service. In mission and in purpose. With God's new humanity. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So remember what you once were. Far away. See that Jesus has now brought you near by his blood. Share the unity of God's people built on the foundation of Christ. Amen. We'll pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that this is all a work of wonderful grace. As we see what we used to be, what we once were, ungodly, sinners, enemies, rebels, we thank you that by grace you have put your hand upon us and you brought us near and you brought, it in, brought us near to you so we can worship and glorify and serve you. But you've also brought us near to each other. We thank you for this particular body in Christ that you've brought together. Father, work in and through this body. Father, we just commit ourselves to you. Help us to think on these things. Know your work and give you all the praise. Let's sing a song of wonder and thankfulness of God's great love.